0: welcome to behind the wings this is the part where we usually say a new podcast by wings over the rockies air and space museum but you know what we've made it folks to episode 10 and the end of season one now if you've been enjoying the show do me a favor be sure to subscribe because we'll be back soon with season two And we've got a lot to explore, stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It is time to go Behind the Wings. And don't forget, our best membership offer is still valid through the end of October. Use the code SEASON1 for 20% off a new Wings membership. Members get free admission to both locations, early access to exhibits, exclusive events, and much more. Hey friends, I'm your host, Rick Crandall. With me is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. John, what do we have for folks today as we wrap up season one?
1: Well, Rick, as we all know, we're going back to the moon. You know, NASA's going back to the moon for the first time in half a century. Now, starting with the uncrewed Artemis 1 mission, set to launch this fall in 2022. So, this first mission is mainly to test out the Orion spacecraft and the SLS launch system before crews get on board for Artemis 2, 3, 4, and beyond.
0: In today's show, we're going to go behind the wings of a cutting edge space vehicle, the Orion spacecraft and the Artemis missions with Lockheed Martin Systems Engineer and Integration Senior Manager Carrie Timmons. Carrie leads a team of engineers at Lockheed Martin working on Orion's vehicle requirements, from the advanced electrical systems to human integration for the Artemis 2, 3, and 4 missions. What an exciting time for human spaceflight. I remember as a kid the wonder of Apollo. In today's conversation that excitement really is back. With the Artemis program we'll be able to explore uncharted parts of the moon and learn more
1: about what it takes to not only explore the moon but deep space. Well Rick you're right I mean this episode is going to be really cool because of a number of things. Now you and I both grew up in the 60s and the 70s and You know, we witnessed what we had through all the way up to the Apollo and the first man on the moon and the Apollo missions. But now, the current generation, our children and our grandchildren uh, are going to be able to experience some of the unique aspects of what it's like to be excited about going beyond the earth. And this episode is going to get that energy, that excitement, and that curiosity that we want to instill in all people about us going back to the moon. And not only going back to the moon, but going back to stay on the moon.
0: Uh, can't wait, let's get started. Carrie Timmons, welcome to the show. You know, reading a bit about you and about the, about the program, you've, you've got a lot of Colorado in you as well, don't you?
2: Born and raised, I'm a native and a second generation Lockheed Martin employee. Both my parents um, actually worked here and inspired my love of space and technology from a young age.
0: That is cool. That's cool to be homegrown and and be here doing this. And I'll tell you, what an exciting time. When was, for folks that are listening, that, you know, we're talking about Orion and Artemis and it's been in the news and they're maybe becoming more familiar with it. When were you first approached or or introduced to this project?
2: Um, Wow, taking me back... um I think I first had the opportunity to come onto the program in 2008, so not too long after Lockheed Martin won the contract, and it's evolved a lot over the years. And we've been through some um, really wonderful test flights, PA1, EFT1, and now we're on the cusp of our last unmanned test flight, the the Artemis One mission.
1: That is really really exciting, John. Well. You know, it's helpful too, Carrie. I think our audience sometimes gets confused between what Orion is and what Artemis is and how they differ. And and maybe kind of just walk through uh, as we begin a little bit about the Orion and then uh, explain what the different Artemis steps are going to be. Sure, sure.
2: Orion is the United States and NASA's deep space exploration vehicle. So it's our crewed spaceflight vehicle that will go out to the moon and beyond it consists of multiple elements Um, the the first i'll talk about is the crew module which is where the crew actually sits and commands the vehicle where we keep the complex avionics and the environmental control and life support equipment Um, we also have the service module, which consists of the European service module and the crew module adapter. So we've partnered with ESA and Airbus to develop this portion of the vehicle which contains the main propulsion elements, um, stores a lot of the crew consumables, the the water, the oxygen that they'll need to sustain them on the mission. Um, And then the uh, last part I'll talk about is the launch abort system, and this was a key safety feature that was added mm-hmm. um right. after the shuttle mission uh, obviously john you're very familiar with those um but uh within seconds milliseconds really the launch abort system can pull the crew to safety if there's any issues um during launch and ascent
1: that's very important as you mentioned you know with uh, of course challenger in 1986 and then columbia in 2003 so uh, this is uh something that uh, i know uh you all have spent a lot of time on with NASA to be able to make sure that the crew is safe. Can you give us, uh, still talking about Orion, and then I want to go through the steps of the or- Artemis, uh, give me a comparison between the Apollo 11, you know, Apollo module, you know, maybe and, and the difference between that and, and Orion.
2: Yeah, they look very similar because um, that capsule blunt body object is still um, the best option for taking crew out and bringing them back safely. Um, Physics hasn't changed since the 60s, (laughs) right? Right. Um, But the Apollo spacecraft um, was capable of transporting three crew. The Orion spacecraft can take up to four crew. Um, Apollo was certified for 14-day missions, Orion up to 21-day missions, and that's really only limited by those consumables I talked about, how much water and oxygen can we bring. The crew um, module height uh, was very similar, but really the diameter is different, Um, 12 feet for Apollo and 16 and a half feet for the Orion spacecraft. And then I mentioned those advanced avionics and the ecosystems, the, the weight of the vehicles a lot different. Um, but it allows a lot more volume and living space for the um, crew to move around in. Apollo had 210 cubic feet and Orion mm-hmm. has 316 cubic feet. So yeah. um, I, we'll need our math wizards to <laughs> yeah, help us visualize
0: great. what that looks like. Is, is the capsule reusable?
2: It is. I'm glad you asked. That's um, actually something we've been working really hard on to make it possible to fly more missions more frequently. Um, not only is the cr- physical structure of the crew module reusable, but a lot of the um, avionics and critical components within the vehicle are reusable as well.
1: Let's talk about the uh, Artemis now. The Apollo missions were named after Apollo, the god of the sun and his twin sister Artemis is the goddess of the moon. The Artemis program will bring humans back to the moon, including the first woman and person of color. Artemis 1, as we've discussed, is the uncrewed mission. But walk us through those steps leading up to the Artemis program. Basically, talk about Artemis 1, 2, 3, and 4 in that order.
2: Yeah, so Artemis 1 unmanned mission around the moon. Um, The spacecraft will actually go um, deeper in space than any crewed vehicle has before based on the um, trajectory and orbit that we've picked. And that's really to fully test out this brand new spacecraft and make sure it is safe for Artemis 2, which will be the first crewed mission. Um, And that'll take... The crew out and be the first human eyes that have seen the moon up close in about 40 years. So, really excited for that. Um, Artemis three then is the mission that will take the first woman and the next man to land on the moon. So, um, a lot of a lot of energy and excitement building around that mission, just because it has been since the uh, uh, 70s, early 70s that we've been on the moon. Um, and then Artemis 4 will be um, another mission after that. We have, um, we're looking at some options, but there's um, an orbiting platform around the moon um, that could be a likely destination for that mission.
0: You know, John and I were talking uh, a little bit earlier before we before we joined you today. It's a fairly aggressive schedule, it seems, too, right? I mean, it's, it's not like we're doing Artemis one this decade, and then Artemis two next decade, and it's a fairly
1: concise schedule. Yeah, one of the things that you know that I make some comparison, like uh, Artemis two would be like Apollo eight. You know, that's when they went around the moon, but they didn't land on the moon. But uh, uh, Artemis three is when we had Neil Armstrong and and Buzz Aldrin land on the moon with Apollo eleven. So that helps I think our audience understand the context of the orbit, and then the other. Part about Artemis 4 that you mentioned is that be able to have a space station not around the Earth but around the around the Moon. Any clarifications on that?
2: I think there's a lot of um, lessons um, that can be learned and a knowledge and knowledge to be gained from docking to another platform in um, lunar orbit versus um, lower Earth orbit. I mean, this is really the beginning of an era, uh, we're right on the cusp of doing so many things that either we've never done before or haven't done in a a while, and um, there's just a lot of opportunities to learn and take these first steps to put us on a trajectory to a lot greater knowledge, right? Um, We want to explore the moon. We want to go there um, and stay there, build up a sustainable lunar environment, both as an orbiting platform and on the surface of the moon so that we can grow our knowledge in an effort to get to Mars
0: so artemis one i mean obviously it'll be judged as a success on a whole lot of different things but but for you carrie as you think about it and as you uh you know think about the the launch and and the mission what is it you're most concerned or consumed with
2: oh is there just one thing there's <laughs> I, I mean i get goosebumps just thinking about it there's um I mean, it's the first time we'll get to demonstrate the integration of the Space Launch System with the Orion vehicle, right, and the complexity of these two um, huge systems that have been years in the making, new technologies, many companies, international participation. I'm just really excited about the the opportunities that we have to to demonstrate um, how we've all worked together to create this successful. Um, launch and mission. And then when we start and get into the mission, there's a lot of critical milestones that'll be happening within those first few hours, right? There'll be the uh, launch abort system jettison. There'll be the spacecraft adapter fairing jettisons. There'll be the solar array deployments. And, um, you know, we are just be counting down the timeline, looking for each of those critical milestones, um, checking them off as successes as we orbit the Earth and then begin um, our mission events for firing the thrusters to do that translunar injection burn um, and actually head out to the moon. Um, We're going to do what's called a translunar powered flyby and we'll be within 60 miles of the moon's surface. Mm So, I mean, for us uh, in Colorado, Denver to Colorado Springs, right? So (laughs) that's that's as close as we're going to get to the moon, which is pretty cool. Um, We'll enter a distant retrograde orbit um, and then uh, come back. I mentioned earlier that um, we're going farther than we've ever gone in space before, and it'll be a 42-day mission. So a really long mission to test out all of these new systems and... See how they perform, and not just the spacecraft, but we're going to get experience from our mission control center and um, the other supporting uh, rooms in Denver, actually following along in the mission and the engineering team, understanding what the telemetry looks like and how the vehicle operating outside of a lab environment, right?
0: Right. You know, I I've got to tell you, I was at the NASA site, you know, for for this for for Artemis and. I was excited first I'm I'm excited by the diversity of of the crew and and the makeup of your team and you know that so many uh different uh voices in the room it's really kind of cool but then when I saw um a part of it and uh, the photo that struck me was a bunch of kids right young people that were that were the next and it was called the Artemis generation and I thought Mm. That yeah. is cool, As a, you know, with three grandchildren of my own and, and hoping that maybe one of them someday will be excited about the space program, uh, I, you know, I applaud that effort to, to include so many different people, brilliant young minds now that, uh, that could possibly uh, find themselves in space someday. And now for a quick announcement about membership at WINGS. If you enjoy listening and want to support Behind the Wings and Wings Over the Rockies mission, well, here's how. Support Wings mission and storytelling by becoming a member for awesome perks like free admission to both locations and free access to other cultural institutions around the world. Join a great community of aerospace fanatics and lifelong learners. Use the code SEASON1 for a 20% discount. That's season the number one. Offer valid for new members through the end of October 2022. To learn more, visit wingsmuseum.org slash membership. And now, back to the show.
1: It's interesting to think that none of the people participating in this were born, you know, when the uh, Apollo program ended, you know, in some yeah. cases. I mean, especially when you're talking about 50 years. I'm sure there's some old guys like us that are hanging around and still <laughs> a part of the program, but... Wow, it's it's a new generation. It's a new, exciting time. And there's so much to look forward to, especially when you start thinking about us being an interplanetary species. You know, the big thing is to be able to set this stage about going back to the moon and then eventually going to Mars. Well, maybe the uh, person who's going to walk on Mars is probably a teenager right now, I would think. You know, maybe even younger. Who knows? Depending on how well we do it. But give us a context about how exciting this program is for the future. You know, let's talk 10, 20 years out in the future. It's an amazing thing to think about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As we kind of talk, this is a, a transition point, right? The beginning of a, a new era and we're laying the groundwork for exactly those kind of things. And it starts with this technology, but it also starts with inspiring that next generation and getting um, young people energized and excited and exploring math and science and all these STEM fields, one of the things I actually wanted to mention was the Callisto payload that is on the Artemis one vehicle. Um, This was a partnership Lockheed Martin began with um, Amazon and WebEx to bring their Alexa um, and Cisco WebEx services to um, space so that we could actually start thinking about, okay, what would it look like for the ground and the crew to interact when they're miles and miles apart, and there's latency, you know, seconds delay between when I say something on the ground and when a crew member on the spacecraft hears it. And what's cool about this, too, is our partnership with Alexa. Anybody that has one in their home can go ask Alexa, Alexa, when's the Artemis 1 launch? Or tell me about Callisto, and she'll sh- share some information. But it's little things like that that are just the, the first steps in thinking through What is all the technology we need to to take humans um, outside of low Earth orbit, outside of lunar orbit, and get us to Mars? So there's that human personal interaction aspect, and then there's other technologies that we need to develop too, whether it be propulsion and um, getting uh, cryogenic um, technologies matured, getting different navigation technologies matured i mean when you're in leo
1: low earth orbit yeah yeah thank yeah. you
2: Le- yep <laughs> you've got gps right to help navigate around but you don't mm-hmm. have that at the moon <laughs> we, we need some more <laughs> gps satellites out out in these
0: interstellar <laughs> planets we need to get elon up there with his star links and just have them you know Make a pass around the moon for you before you get there. Back to the moon, I mean, so so again, I'm that kid of the 60s who who hung on every launch and, and every newscast and watched Walter Cronkite and everybody else that was reporting on those missions. And I still go outside and look at the moon every night when I go outside, I, I look immediately for the moon. Going back there now, this is exciting. I mean, we've talked about younger generations and, and you know, the diversity of the team. But there's a whole lot of people from my generation that this is just as exciting for, the fact that we are finally going back there. And I can't imagine you sitting there thinking, man, and I'm sitting here getting a chance to kind of lead this whole thing, and holy cow, how cool am I? I mean, I you've just gotta be, you've gotta be beside yourself.
2: I am. This is a, a dream job for me, as I, I mentioned. I. Second-generation Lockheed employee or Martin Marietta, and uh, I mean, I used to go out in the backyard with my dad, and we had a star book, looking at different constellations. There's just something about space and this um, human nature, this desire to explore and know what's out there, um, get up close, look at it with our own eyes, and there's so much more we can do when we take crew to the location than we can do with robotics or remote science right i'm with you it's exciting to be going back it's exciting to be taking humans back and it's it's almost here right we've got this mission coming up we've got artemis 2 in 2024 artemis 3 in 2025 and then uh year centers is the is the goal after that right so let's keep flying let's keep exploring let's keep learning
0: it, it was interesting to me at the NASA site as, as when I was reading that um, the the idea of man and robots working together on the moon, right? About this this partnership between man and robot on the moon, that you know, a whole another thing that you, you just never think of. But it, there's the the possibilities uh, on the lunar surface are are really just limited by imagination. I suspect
2: that's very true. I mean. I don't know if people realize this, but during the Apollo missions, less than 5% of the moon was explored. So there's still a lot for us to go see, explore, and learn about there. Um, We can look for water ice on the moon, which will, again, help with those other missions that we want to do to Mars. If we can figure out how to mine that water and use it for propulsion. Um, it's a lot easier to get in and out of a moon orbit than it is out of an Earth orbit.
0: It's not just an ego thing, but but for the, for the U.S. to lead, you know, the world in this regard. I mean, you know, sure we like to puff our chests and say, look, you know, USA, USA. But uh, but but I think you know we, we've had such a leadership role in space for so long, it's right that we should be kind of taking charge of this.
2: I agree. Some somebody's got to take charge. Might as yeah. well be us. Might right? as
0: well be us. There you go. That's a t-shirt. I'm going to have one made carrying on. <laughs>
1: Might as well be us. With Artemis 1 and, you know, you've got the capability to 2 and we finally get to 3, you put it on then. But let's talk about that last one there, a little bit on the gateway. You know, help us understand what that's going to look like with an orbital capability that's going to be around the moon with actually having You know, humans on the moon.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot that can be learned from um, an orbiting platform around the moon. So um, obviously we have the International Space Station, and we learn a lot there. We've developed a lot of um, environmental control and life support systems that help us understand how to reuse all of those consumable resources, right? We can't just stop at a 7-Eleven and get another bottle of water. Um, So we have to figure out how to recycle um, all of those critical resources. And if you have an issue in LEO, it's just a few hours to come home. But if you have an issue at the moon, it's a, it's a couple days, right? So it's a different level of, of risk and preparedness that you need to approach those missions with. And that's, again, why studying those kind of things at the moon um, before we go to Mars will be very beneficial to taking those next steps
1: farther. And the gateway, you know, will be manned and then we'll have people on the moon. Explain how that's going to work a little bit. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. Um, we want to be uh, build a sustainable presence on the moon um, and be able to live and work and explore there, um, larger areas of the moon. And when you think about what it takes to live on the moon, I mean, we don't have a breathable atmosphere, right? So we've got to set up infrastructure that allows humans to live and work there. There's no rivers, although there's that ice swat, uh, I talked about. So we got to figure out how to use the resources there and um, merge it with technology we have on Earth today, whether it be 3D printers maybe to use that lunar regolith to create the tools and systems that we need to um, live on Mars. We'll need to have, um, again, navigation and communication systems so that um, the people there can always um, connect back to the um, mission control centers on earth and let them know what successes they're having any issues they're having and work through those um, details in real time
1: you know because you know i'm envisioning this and correct me if i'm wrong so you got the gateway that's orbiting the moon you got people bound on the moon so you're going to have mining going on so that has to be coordinated with the gateway you got to have supplies you got to have you know, communication officers, science officers. You know, be able to work with people in the gateway that's orbiting the moon with the people on the uh, on the moon itself.
2: Yeah, with anything, it's a team effort, right? If you were gonna climb Mount Everest, if you were gonna go to Antarctica, you'd have kind of a, a core team and a base camp, and you'd do expeditions out from there. So you can kind of think of it the same the same way of um, different functional groups in different locations all working towards the same scientific and exploration goals Um, and there's a lot of teams interested in this and and working to develop technologies for this I mean we're partnered with GM and Goodyear right now to develop a lunar mobility vehicle that can be um, driven by astronauts or used autonomously on the uh, lunar surface so um, the goal there is that 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 less than five percent that was explored back um, in the Apollo days, we can greatly increase that number and get a lot better feel for what the Moon looks like, what resources it has to offer, and where's the best place for us to develop a long-term sustainable
1: campsite. Campsite, right, or or city? Who knows? We can build a city on the Moon. (laughs) There
2: you go. You're dreaming bigger.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the the exciting part is just insurmountable. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know. Like uh, Rick and I were living in the 60s and watching the competition between, you know, the Soviet Union at that time and the United States. And now we have all these private industries, these multiple countries. Uh, there's so much going on in, in regards to space. And, you know, we look forward to being able to uh, see what the outcomes are in the next, you know, five to ten years, which is pretty cool.
0: The difference now John is that uh, rather than going to the fine tuning knob on the television to get the channel in clear so we could watch him land on the moon we can actually stream it on our phone now John and I can I can I show you that yes. it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Carrie the, talking you know talking about the the astronauts through the ages uh, a lot of this would be so foreign I mean, the technology and some of the language and some of that but at the heart of it, it's a capsule sitting on top of a rocket getting ready to launch, right?
2: That's exactly right. Um, yeah, it it looks similar. It performs a similar mission. But the inner workings and the crew interface to the system are so different than what uh, those astronauts of the Apollo days had. I mean, I think their um, computer systems had definitely less computing power than our cell phones, even maybe less than a calculator, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and now we have um, gigabit ethernet on the spacecraft, so sending so much data around um, closed loop communication systems. Um, phased array antennas, is another a very powerful technology enabling us to communicate um, from uh, the moon back to Earth. Back in the Apollo days, the um, engineers and scientists had um, thought of what's known as a skip reentry. Um, But they didn't have the computing power to um, actually implement that. But today we do. So when the spacecraft comes back to Earth and reenters, we'll perform this maneuver that allows us to essentially bounce off the Earth's atmosphere, um, reducing some of our speed and giving us better control and precision landing. So we'll be able to land even closer off the coast of San Diego um, in in a more precise location to our predictions. So, yeah, that's a a perfect example of things that we thought about but couldn't quite implement back then. But now with all the new um, technologies, uh, we're able to actually perform for the Artemis One mission.
1: You know, we're getting towards the end of our time here. We've got a few more questions that we'd like to really, we could spend hours, maybe days, (laughs) probably weeks talking about this. So uh, maybe just uh, one final question here is... uh, it's kind of what you alluded to before, but I'll give you kind of a final chance to make a comment about what is your hope, your dream or vision for the future of space exploration?
2: I hope that there are more people flying and um, getting to be part of this industry because it's I've just found it so rewarding um, over my time. Um, the people that I work with are so interesting, so passionate. They put, um, they make a lot of sacrifices to do what we do and advance um, human knowledge of our history and technology that can take us um, to where we're going to go in the future. So um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a thriving Earth-Lunar economy um, with regular. Um, I don't even want to call them missions because that sounds like it's limited, right? I want um, shuttles and, and buses back and forth between the Earth and <laughs> yeah. Moon and to Mars mm-hmm. and just um, the human race getting to experience um, exploration.
1: You know, it's, it's funny. We did a um, behind the wing segment with Steve Lindsay, who used to be an astronaut. You know, he flew five times. He was head of the astronaut corps for a while. And he says, you know what? His hope, I'm hoping when I walk in the classroom, and say, well, what have you done? I said, well, I was an astronaut. But if we put thousands and thousands and thousands of people up there and do this thing, it says, so what? You know, that's no big deal. <laughs> that
0: that would be a dream. Well, Carrie, well, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. There's a bunch of us here in Colorado that are cheering and cheering, not just here, but around the planet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, especially here at home, Carrie. Thank you so much for your time today. And and. Best of luck, Godspeed. We're we're sure uh, we're sure on your side cheering.
2: Thanks so much.
0: See there you go, right like that.
2: Go Orion, go SLS, go Artemis <laughs> One.
0: Thank you, Carrie Timmons, for joining us. Oh my goodness, that, that's a, we could have done a double show right there. That was really really cool. You know, I I think what I liked the most about it was learning about Carrie John, about how this has been a family mission for her, right? Her parents before her who worked uh, on, on space uh, missions and, and uh, projects up at Lockheed, and now she's up there following in her dad's footsteps. That was pretty cool.
1: And she also gave us a real key insight and look to the future and try to understand what it's gonna be like to be on the moon. I mean, we, we put that, we'll call it a space station around the moon and then have men and women working on the moon to stay, to set up habitats, to decide how they're going to be able to get propulsion systems and develop food and waste and all those things are going to be necessary for us to understand that in order to be able to, be able to go to Mars and beyond. Yeah.
0: Good, good call. Well, you know what? That's going to do it folks for episode 10 and the end of season one of the Behind the Wings podcast. I really want to thank you for listening to Behind the Wings. A reminder, be sure to visit www.wingsmuseum.org to join the conversation and access the show notes. Don't forget, our best membership offer is still valid through the end of October. Use the code SEASON1 for 20% off a new Wings membership. Members get free admission to both locations, early access to exhibits, exclusive events, and much more. Now, we'll be back soon with the start of another season of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot and we really really do appreciate it. We'll see you right back here next time on Behind the Wings.